I was on my back and I just sat up and I let out this huge scream. There was an old lady at the end of my bed, like standing. I couldn't see the bottom part, I could see the top half, but she was standing. An old lady with a bun and, and, a, and a shawl on, old fashioned clothing. I couldn't see through her, she was like a real person there. And the room was very dark, but she was lit up and she smiled at me and I wasn't frightened. Welcome to the Spirit Sisters podcast. My name is Karina Machado and I'm the author of Spirit Sisters, Women's True Stories of the Paranormal. In this podcast, I'll revisit the women behind my most unforgettable stories and unearth new tales to chill, intrigue, astound and offer hope. You'll hear first-hand accounts of ghostly visitors, near-death experiences, premonitions, hauntings and love more powerful than death. Whatever you believe about the afterlife, I invite you to open your minds and hearts as ordinary women reveal their extraordinary encounters. You're listening to Spirit Sisters. I'm your host, Karina Machado. My guest today has a chilling ghost story to share about an unforgettable chain of events that took place in 1969 when she was just 12 years old and living with her family in the western suburbs of Melbourne. This is a memorable story because it demonstrates that in another worldly encounter, as much as in everyday life, things aren't always as they might at first appear. Today, Coral lives on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland with her husband, her adult son, and two fur babies. Before her retirement, she worked in childcare and in financial services. Yet, when I think of Coral, I think survivor. And when you hear her story, you'll know why. Coral's captivating ghost story takes a turn that I was not expecting, a turn into the devastation wreaked by domestic violence. Please note that her account contains graphic descriptions of violence inflicted upon her mum. If you are experiencing or have experienced domestic or family violence, please contact the Australian Counselling Service 1800respect.org.au or call them 24 hours a day on 1800 737 732. In 1969, there were no such support services available to Coral, her mum or her three siblings all lived in the midst of a war zone every day and with the exception of her maternal grandparents who offered brief moments of respite, no one came to their aid. Well, no one living, that is. By turns wondrous, horrific, fascinating and tragic, Coral's story is about the courage it takes to hope in the face of deepest darkness and the strength and resilience that yields. It's also about the rewards of looking for answers outside of the obvious. And ultimately, it's about compassion and care strong enough to pierce the veil between life and death. Hello, Coral. Welcome to Spirit Sisters. Now, some of our listeners may have heard our earlier interview on my other podcast, which is now resting at the moment whether it comes back or not I'm not sure but for the moment it's dormant and that was the ghost files and back in 
I think it was at the beginning of last year, Coral, you did an amazing interview with me there. And I always thought I want to bring Coral onto Spirit Sisters to share her story with the audience there because I know they're just going to absolutely love it. So what I want to do now, Coral, is for you to take us back in time to the winter of 1969. You were only 12 and you were living with your family in the western suburbs of Melbourne. Now, to set the scene for the amazing encounter that you're about to share with us, please tell us a little about what life was like for you then. Set the scene for us, please, Coral. Okay, we were a family of six. I have, uh, it was mum and dad and two older brothers and a younger sister. I was 12 and there's about two years between each of my brothers and sisters. Uh, we moved around a lot in those days. We, we rented um, houses. We never had our own home for reasons um, that I, I wasn't aware of then but quite aware of now. We moved into this house we weren't there very long. I was home with my mother. It was on a weekday. I was home with my mum. The others were at school. I might have been sick or I just might have had a day off. And there was a knock at the door. This house was a sort of a, a, an old house with the, uh, the corridor in the house or the passageway of the house where from the front door you could see to the back and the rooms were off on each side of the passageway. So mum answered the door and there was a big man. I went up with mum to the door. There was a big man standing at the door. It was winter, so he was dressed in a big coat. He was tall, he was bulky. We only had an old wire door on the house and actually mum opened the, the wire door. Uh, Hello, can I help you? And he, he says, oh, uh, is, uh, he said a name. Uh, is so-and-so here, live here? Mum said, no. Uh, we've just moved in, my husband and I and, and my uh, four children have just moved in. There's no one by that name here. And as mum was uh, talking to him, he was looking uh, beyond my mum down the passage. His eyes were darting each side of the, the passage and looking into the house, looking into the house. And, and I thought to myself, I was looking very intently at him and I thought to myself, well, why is he looking in our house? I thought, why is he looking at my mother when she's talking to him? And my mother said, no, it doesn't live here. And then he kept going. Um, okay, yeah, all right. And he kept looking and mum's voice became a little bit, you know, uh, no, she doesn't live here. Mum closed the wide door. Okay, she says, uh, bye, thank you. And he goes, okay, thank you. And then he, he, he left. May have been, this was a weekday, so it may have been the next Saturday after, in that week. I'm not sure. It could have been the one after. Mum and I were sitting up in the front room of this house and we were watching TV. My father was in bed. The boys were in bed. My sister, who I shared a room with, she was in bed. So mum and I used to like to sit up late. I was a late night girl. We were watching a movie and it was raining, pouring rain, cold outside. And for some reason, my, my eyes went to the front window and there were old, like old drapes that did not meet in the middle, little thing in the middle where you could see through. And I said to mum, 
I feel as though someone's looking in the window at us, Mum. She said, oh, okay, well, put the drapes together. So she got up and she put the drapes together and there was a little peg on the floor and she pegged the drapes together so that that little piece of you couldn't see through. Anyway, so she said, oh, it's getting late. We better go to bed. And, and so she said, you get into bed and I will turn off the lights. So I got into bed. Mum turned out the lights. They were in the front room on the right side of the house. Vicky and I, my little sister, we were in the room behind this, this lounge room. I got into bed and I always like to say goodnight to my sister because I was hoping that she would be awake so that we could have a chat. But Vicky was always a, an early kid to bed and she was asleep. Vicky, are you awake? No, she was asleep. So anyway, getting getting under the covers and trying to get warm. And it was it was pretty dark and it was still very rainy outside. I could hear the rain on the window, hitting the window. Anyway, I was, I was sort of not dropping off to sleep, but I was comfy, I was getting warm, and then I felt hands on my arms, like cold hands going up and down my arms. And I thought, whoa, what's that? And I kept perfectly still because I thought, well, whatever it is, it was definitely could feel the weight and the coldness of the hands. I thought, I don't want to make whatever, whoever it is or whatever it is think that I'm awake and it might go away. I didn't open my eyes. I didn't make any, any sound. I didn't make any movement. Then the hands were getting more pressing on my skin, very cold, and then onto my sort of shoulders, my head, my hair, I had very long hair and I just feel, and then on the other side, and I had pyjamas on, but I could feel the hands and the cold through my pyjamas. So it felt like they were directly on your skin? Directly on my skin. Even though you had, as you say, your pyjamas. Not on top of, yeah. yeah, not on top of material. And were your hands above or uh, beneath the blankets? No, it was all underneath the blankets because okay. it was cold. My mind was just racing. I thought, what do I do? What do I do? Because they, the hands were not going away. They were intensifying. You know, it began sort of soft and then it just intensified as I, I was not reacting to it. Okay, what do I do? I have to scream loud enough to wake this house so that whatever this thing is will, will go away. So I, I, I sat up. I was on my back and I just sat up and I let out this huge scream. So between the time that I let out the scream, there was an old lady at the end of my bed, like standing. I couldn't see the bottom part of her. I could see the top half, but she was standing, an old lady with a bun and, and, a, and a shawl on, old-fashioned clothing, very old-fashioned clothing, maybe from, you know, from the late 1800s. I couldn't see through her. She was like a real person there. And the room was very dark, but she was lit up. And she smiled at me, and I wasn't frightened. I was frightened of the hands, but I wasn't frightened looking at her. And we, come, we sort of come eye-to-eye -eye contact for just a couple of seconds, and then she disappeared. And then, of course, my mother come running in, my father, the boys, Vicky was you know what, what's 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 happened you know 
anyway, so I, I was saying to mum and, and Bora, she said, all right, just settle down. So I, I, mum was with me. She said, I'll stay with you until you go to sleep because I would not have gone to sleep on my own. I probably would have crawled into bed with Vicky, but I, mum said, I'll stay with you. And she sort of cuddled me and, until I went back to sleep. Anyway, so the next morning, my father was in the, the sideway. We didn't have a driveway of the house. It was an old house that weren't meant for cars. So on, the, on where our window was, there was a little skinny walkway to the backyard. It didn't have a, a gate. You could walk from the front gate through, down the little sideway, past our window. And there was a little gate just at the end so that that was the backyard, couldn't get into the backyard. And he was doing something around there and he noticed that the window, there were sash windows where you pull up and down, that where you lock the locking mechanism up on the, on the window was being, was a lot of wood knocked out of there, like a little chisel, like chiseling away at the window as much as to get into the window and just move the lock around. It was only a little little slidey thing. So he called we called the police and the police come around and, and looked around, looked at the window and then went to the front and, and I had said to my I didn't talk to the police but mum did. Mum says, oh when we were watching TV last night, my daughter said that she thought there was someone looking at in, in the window at us. So when they checked the front, there was a little garden patch near the front window because it had been raining so much. When they'd had a look at that through the couple of little bushy bits there, there were huge boot prints in the mud. It was all still mud. That was, you know, Mum said, well, not, none of ours are huge, huge feet. She said, oh, it's none of our feet, you know. And obviously weren't there because we didn't sort of, we weren't there doing anything in that little garden bit. So they were lovely, fresh, big boot prints. So that was okay. And then the, the police left, took photos and everything of the prints and the window and all that sort of thing. And then oh, maybe not that long after, uh, there was uh, on the news that a young woman had been found murdered in her in her home and that was probably a couple of suburbs away from where we lived now putting those two things together that lady that I'd seen and I don't know who she was don't know whether she was a relative or just some helpful spirit waking me up my waking up and screaming with her cold hands must have scared this man away now, if I hadn't have woken up, I hadn't been woken up or, or, or I wasn't asleep, but if I had have not been um, alerted to danger, that man would have come through our window. And I'm sure I could almost say for sure, and my mother as well, and we used to talk about it often, that he was possibly looking for someone that he was off a ship. When, when we describe what he looked like to the police, there are a lot in those days, this is 1969, and the, the port of Melbourne was just not very far from where we lived. And there were a lot of shipmen, uh, merchant seamen coming in and out of port. And there are a lot of boarding houses too in the surrounding suburbs that were on the bay, on Port Phillip Bay. 
and of course a lot of you know where, where these midshipmen go for a little bit of entertainment or you know putting it putting it that way they were everywhere so you hadn't so, been in that house very long so it's possible we hadn't been in that house long and I, it's yeah. very possible that this woman that he was looking for had lived there before us and maybe yeah. he had visited that woman she was only a young woman visited that woman at that address and he was off ship again for maybe a week or something and wanted to visit her again or coming to look for her for some other reason. So did you know who that, you said that she was a young woman who'd lived there prior to you. How do, how do you know that? No, I'm saying it could have been a oh, young woman. She yeah. could have lived there prior, but she yeah. was a young woman. According to the news report, she was a young, uh, young woman in oh, her, in her 20s. Died. Yeah. The woman who died, yeah, oh. um, and in the same vicinity as what we were. So maybe, I don't know whether he was looking for her to hook up with her again or looking for her for some other reason that wasn't, you know, she might have, I don't know, done the dirty on him or something or I don't know. There's so much that I'd like to just go back and, and unpack from that absolutely chilling story. Mm. Mm. So they did not find the man that they did not find the man that murdered the lady. They didn't, did they? No, no. Because I remember doing a little bit of a search and I didn't find anything. So you have you researched as well? Yes, I have. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. have you come up with anything, Coral? No, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. So you couldn't even find a report on it. I couldn't. No. Yeah. No. No. But it was probably, oh, you know, it, it wasn't a break-in. It could have been a break-in, but it was didn't get that far. So, uh, okay, someone uh, maybe, uh, what do they call them, um, peeping toms or whatever. could have been a peeping tom through the window. But he went further when, than a peeping tom. He got his chisel out, he, went to he got the your window. Went to the window, yeah, yeah. because our window, uh, our window was the only window on that off side of the house. So my parents' bedroom window was at the front. So their, yeah. their uh, window was facing the front street and the boys were facing the other side. Okay. The, it was the only window on that side. Which so is the side, as you say, that was open from the street. You could walk right through this skinny little right alley. Through. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, you know, and mum said, well, it could have been, could have been my grandmother uh, yeah, maybe, or it could have been just someone that thought, okay, this family's in trouble. Mm. And if he and, and if he had have had, why did he? Why was he looking for someone that had chisels and tools at night? Why why would he go to a house to have a peeping tom and have tools on him late at night? And right. This was around midnight on a rainy, so, rainy night, which on a, was on potentially a, a cover. Yeah, a really pouring rainy night. But as I said in those days, men used to come in and in and out off the ships, and there would have been hundreds of them at one time. So maybe it was really hard to to trace. And as you said, when when you were home from school that day, and you mm. you saw him, you saw a man there at the door, a stranger who came looking for someone. Mm. You said he was huge. You said he was. A, he was yeah. And he was so, a big, big, bulky man. Potentially matches that that boot print that you yeah. said was massive. Yeah, yep, a big bulky man, and he had like a uh, like a little, not a backpacker. Oh, like a know, um, like a knapsack of sorts. Yes. Yeah. Okay. And a, a and a, a woolen beanie on his head. 
So, yeah, a, like a wharfie. Yeah, wharfie, yeah. yeah. Yeah, someone had just come off a boat. Yeah, yeah. When you saw him, so there was like a bit less than a week in between the mm. incident where he came to the door and then that cold Saturday night. Yep. Was he on your mind at all? Like did that incident where you saw him unnerve you and did you or did you just pu- like push it out of your head? I can hear your kitty cat there. <laughs> yeah. No, he didn't unnerve me and it, it sort of I didn't really think about it but I did say to mum when she closed the door, I said to her, oh, did you see that man looking in the house, mum? She said, yes, I did. She said, don't, you know, don't worry. It's all right. Don't think about it. You were a very, yeah, okay. And you were a very observant child because from the sounds of of what you tell us, Coral, it sounds like you noticed Mm. it was rude of him to not look at your mum while she was Oh, yes, yeah. I was thinking, well, why aren't you looking at my mum while she's talking to you? And I was only 12. But I was a, a, a kid that um, I was very shy. I didn't speak very much, but I used to love looking at people. I used to love reading people's body language from a very little girl. And a lot of people could, didn't think that I could speak. You know, there was an old lady that lived next door to us once and she said to her mum, oh, um, you should get that child seen to. She doesn't talk. But I did yeah. talk to my family. I didn't yeah. talk to anyone else. So when, So basically when you... We're at that point of that cold Saturday night now and you're watching a movie. You actually remember mm. what movie it was too, I think, don't you? It was a gangster. It was a gangster movie. <laughs> yeah, I just, I have a photographic memory. I see something and then it's just in my head forever. Which I'm very good at faces. Um, yeah. Which is why these details are coming across so clearly. You're really transforming yeah. us there. So when that happened that you, you had that feeling and it was just a feeling that you were being watched, mm. it's not like you saw mm. anything. No. You no. didn't associate it with, with the man who had appeared at the door some days prior? No, not at all. And so you went to bed. Now, the hands, what did you feel? Like, what, what did you think was going on? Because you, you weren't in any way asleep. You'd actually just climbed into bed mm. and you were in the mm. process of getting comfy. You'd covered yourself getting up. Getting comfy and warm, yeah. Yep. And then mm. these hands, which is such an mm. unusual thing when you're under two layers. So you've got the pajamas, and then on top you've got the mm. blankets. But you've blankets, felt yeah. hands. Now, did you did you think of any sort of supernatural thing, or did you think it was a person? What did you think when that began? No, I th- no, I thought it was a ghost. You did. Oh yes, straight away. Had you had experiences with ghosts before? Oh yes, yeah. Right. Yeah. Hold that thought. We're going to come come mm. back exactly to that yeah I'll write that down but I just want to know and then when you sat up you sat up and in that pretty much not long after you screamed you saw the Mm. lady did you Mm. immediately understand that the hands belonged to her yes you did yeah yes yep yep but knowing that I I thought yeah there's a ghost but you don't know whether it's a bad ghost or a good ghost I felt that it was a bad ghost by the way that it was doing this, just touching, touching. I thought, oh, it's, it's not good. Yeah, I can understand at, at 12, why you think that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, things that, you know, maybe 12-year-olds don't really have to think about, but I thought, oh, this, this doesn't feel good. So when I did scream and I did see her, no, I thought, no, she's, she's fine. And, and, and that little smile. She was smiling at you. Or smile, just like a little, okay, you're, you're awake now. I've done what I've come to do. And then she just went 
not not just drizzled out, just went. Done my job now. She's awake. Fascinating. And she wasn't a wispy, transparent figure. She was a solid no, like a solid person. Yeah. yeah. It was life, a dark life room size? and I could not life size, yes. Yeah. yeah. And I could see her like she had her own light mm. because it was a very dark room. And the blind was down on the window. It was only a very small window in, a, in, a, in an old house. And uh, so it, it was dark, but she had her own light. And I didn't feel scared at all. More scared of the hands, but when I saw who the hands belonged to, yeah. It's a lovely twist in your story because when you begin to tell it, you immediately think of something negative because it's, mm. it's a feeling of cold hands on, on a little yeah. girl who's terrified. Yes. But yeah. then the story sort of tips it on tips that on its head which which is yeah. what I love about this encounter so then when your dad discovered you know the chisel marks and then the police came and the boot prints how did you feel like what what did you think about what you had experienced the night before and what potentially could have happened had you not been awoken I was thankful I remember I was thankful that I was woken up it sounds silly, doesn't it, for a 12 no, year old? But I was, I was sort of an old kid. <laughs> and I was thankful that this thing with this lady did wake me up because I, I didn't sort of discuss it with my sister because she was a couple of years younger and it was scary. And, but I did talk to mum about it and, and I said, whoever it was, mum, woke me up because somebody's caring for us. We did not have a nice life. It was very, it was full of terrible things. Do you want to share a bit more about that? Um, Yeah, okay. Well, my my father was, uh, my father, okay, he was a wife basher. Do you experience domestic violence in your childhood? Every single day, every single day. And he just didn't hit my mother. He bashed my mother. He was strong. He was a big, strong man. My mother was a small woman and it was like he was street fighting with men and we went to the same school we lived in all these different houses but we went to the same school all the time because it was only different streets away all these places and it was shameful people knew what was going on but nobody did anything and we we had the police to our house a few times that maybe neighbors had called or or whatever and uh uh, oh, it's a domestic, this is the police, this is a domestic, we can't do anything. And, you know, I used to be in bed at night and my sister, it, it would be every night, I would go, that's why I don't sleep well now, I don't think, because um, I had one ear open, I used to have my little sister under the sheets and I'd be singing to her so that she didn't have to hear what was going on. And it was yelling and screaming and then it was bang, bang, bang. And then when everything went quiet, he'd been, he was a big drinker as well. And when everything went quiet um, and he'd go to bed and he'd just go unconscious from the drink, I would go out and I would be cleaning blood off walls. My mother had broken fingers, broken arms, broken ribs. Um, and, you know, we just didn't have anywhere to go. We had my grandparents. Uh, but you know they weren't they didn't want they didn't have they got rid of their two children early on so they weren't used to having kids around so four four children they did not want in their house 
although we did spend time in their house. Were they your mum's parents or your father's? Yeah, yeah. no, my mother's. Did, um, they, my did they know what was going on in the home? Your oh, mother's? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Abso- yeah, absolutely. They never did anything either. Oh, my gosh. So you were about to tell us a little about your father's parents, if they, if you had any contact with them and if they provided any, any sort of support. They didn't, no, they provided no support. They were Italians and, and they didn't want my father to marry an Australian person anyway. My mother's Australian, my father's Italian. So they were against the marriage from the very start. So it was doomed from the beginning. Uh, and my mother was only young. My mother was 17 when she married. And then not long into the marriage, I think they were on their honeymoon or something, and he gave her a slap with a big wet towel. I said to Mum, why didn't you think then? Why didn't you leave him then? She said, he just didn't do it in those days. I said, you had, didn't have any children. Why didn't you do something then before you had four children? And that, But when I say that, it hurts my mum. So she said, well, I love my children. Mm. Is your mother still with us? Yes, she was uh, sick last year. I think I mentioned that to you. Oh, um, she was right. not well at all. She was in the hospital, but she's 87 now and she can't move. She can't move at all. She's still at home with my brother, my eldest brother, cares for her. And they're all in Melbourne. They live in Melbourne. All my family are in Melbourne. And I haven't, I couldn't get down to see her last year. And mm. but I'll, Probably in the next couple of months I'll go down to see her. My mother has a terrific memory. She's got a great mind, but the body is gone. Her body is finished. But the brain, if someone could just transplant that brain into a new body, wow, that's what she's like. And Mm. is your father still alive? No, no. My father died when I was living overseas in 2002. And uh, mum rang me and said, oh, um, your father's just found out that uh, he's got cancer so I rang the hospital where my father was and the doctor said oh yeah he's got a few months to live maybe a year and he died two weeks later so I didn't come back for his funeral. And he and your mum were together until his death? Oh no no my no my mother was separated for him from him for many years when we grew up okay pretty much when we grew up yeah but we had to go through all that rubbish when we were kids, go to school, try and learn things at school. And I was, I was good at school, actually, and uh, I loved going to school. But in the afternoon, because, you know, after he'd gone to bed the night before to see how my mother was and, and, and wiping things up, I thought, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to clean up and blood on walls and, 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 and things and the boys were there and the boys were cleaning up and, and I used to say to my sister, you stay in bed, you don't have to do anything, you know, you stay there and, and went to school the next day and I don't know how we learnt anything. I don't know how I kept my eyes open for half of the time. But I can remember school really well, very well. And, you know, the, our surname then was very well known because my father had been to that same school, all his sisters and brothers had been to that same school. My grandmother had... Um, she was always in the church buying big flowers for the church and everything, but had this awful uh, little dirty secret of the son and all this awful domestic violence. That's appalling for all of you. And one thing that strikes me when I listen to, to this story of yours, Coral, is that there was such a lack of support around you. Now, 
even though, you know, this problem is sadly still as prominent as it ever was, now we do have women's refuges, we have support mm. services, we have awareness, we have government campaigns to raise awareness mm. about it all and, yeah. and about coercive control. But you had, you kids and your mum, there was nothing. You know, uh, you know doctors like did yeah. not... Yeah. Doctors did not even have to report it. We had a family doctor and he was a good man and my mother used to go there and uh, her wrists were broken, her fingers were broken and he, he, he would ring the police but they didn't want to know about it. So he said, if your husband ever comes here, tell your husband never to come here because I will not see him. And he couldn't do anything. All he did was patch my mother up and, you know, for another night. And that's, that was our whole childhood, pretty much. I can't and imagine I, how difficult. I remember uh, one time there we were living not that far from where my, grand, my, my mother's parents were living. They had a little two-bedroom house a few streets away and that was a pretty awful night, a particularly awful night. And uh, my mother was being thrown down the passageway and punched and and these terrible things, and, and she took a whole, uh, she was on some sort of medication, she took the whole medication in front of us, just dammed it down her throat, you know, and I was so upset and, and I was shaking and screaming and, and my brother um, had to belt her back for all these pills to come out, and then we just left that house. We left that house, got our few things and walked around in the, in the, in the dark of night to my grandparents' house. Uh, please, can we stay? Is that something that would happen frequently, that you would, uh, in yes, the dead of yes. night, you'd go to your in grandparents? In the dead of night, we'd, yeah. we'd, we'd go. Yeah, we'd go there. Uh, so, you know, my, my grandparents, uh, okay. And then I'm, uh, that night, my grandmother my grandparents room was at the front they had a double bed so my grandmother got a fold-up bed put it near the window for my mother and my sister and I and Nana got into the double bed and my grandfather was in the back room with the boys and uh, my grandmother was we were just sort of laying there and I was laying there looking at my mother and she was in the bed mum you're all right yes yes I'm all right I'm all right go to sleep she says you know and I'm, I'm there and I'm looking at her and then she got up. She she got got up out of bed, and I said, "Mum, are you okay?" And then she floated out of the window. But then when I looked, my mother's still lying in the bed. And I said, "Nana, Nana, Mum's just floated out of the window, but she's still in the bed." And she said, "Just leave her. Don't wake her up. Just leave her there. Don't wake her up." So I didn't say anything. I just lay there, and I just was like this, like a like a you know, with my eyes just looking at my mother so she didn't move and I thought if I say anything she'll wake up and she won't find herself again or whatever, you know. But, yep, just got up and just out of the window she went. My grandmother said, turn this way. So I, I turned over, faced the wall, and she put her arm around me and that was it. You often hear in cases of uh, extreme trauma, moments of extreme trauma, that the, the person experiencing the trauma does leave their body. Mm, mm. I've heard many accounts like this, but I've never heard an account where there is somebody there to see it. Mm. And yeah. I'm not surprised to hear that you've seen ghosts and you, you had seen ghosts all your life prior to this mm. event w with, mm. the, um, with the old lady. 
But I just mm. want to ask you one thing about seeing your mum's spirit float away. Did you tell her the next morning or, or yes, I did. Any, yeah, yeah, what did she say? Yeah. yeah, she uh she said she said, What did Nana tell you? And I said, Nana told me not to wake you up. So I don't know whether she had done that before that I hadn't seen. I said, I was gonna wake you up. And then I, I, I said, but I asked Nana. I said, you just floated out. She said, yeah, didn't explain to me, didn't go into that anymore. She said, yeah. And you mentioned that your grandmother was very involved in the church and, you know, that your whole, mm. the, your father's entire family were mm. very much mm. with the church. Yeah. Did yeah. that play a part in your life as well growing up? Was that something that you all had to go to church? And what, what sort of spirituality, if any, yeah. was part of your childhood? Um, yeah, well, living in a, 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 a suburb, it was very Catholic. So there was the convent with nuns. There was the, the Christian brothers and then there was the presbytery. So pretty much it was very Catholic. Everyone was Catholic and that's just how it was. Um, yeah, we were made to go to Mass on Sunday. I hated going to Mass on Sunday because I just didn't, I didn't feel anything. You know, and mum wasn't a Catholic, so that was a big contentious issue with my father's family that my mother never became a Catholic when they married. She was Church of England. So that was pretty awful. Oh, you know, it, your kids aren't going to church. They'll go to hell. Your kids are going to go to hell. You know, well, mum said, no, my kids are not going to go to hell. And they were always, you know, it, it was terrible, terrible relationship, a terrible dynamic. You know, we were half Australian, half Italian, but... The Italians didn't like the Australian half and the Australians didn't like the Italian half. Did you ever speak to your father prior to his passing about the violence and did you ever ask him about it? Colin? No, no. I did take my son to see my father when uh, but he, he, I hadn't seen my father for years and then I thought, okay, well, I'm going to take my son. He was about three just to meet his grandfather, just for me to say, okay, I did the right thing. And uh, I knocked on his door, I lived in a little flat and uh, knocked on the door and he opened it. He didn't even know who I was. And uh, I said, oh, hello, how are you going? And then he looked at me and, he, oh, Coral, you know, oh, come in, come in. Oh, and who's this little guy, you know? And I said, oh, this is my son. And my husband stayed out in the car. My husband said, I don't want to see that man I'll stay in the car he goes oh where's your husband You're coming I said no he doesn't want to come in anyway, I sat there and um I said what were you thinking and he was by this stage he was old and not frail but he was old and he, he'd been a smoker all his life and he died of lung cancer you know a few years on what were you thinking what what was that all about you know and I tried to be diplomatic I was nicer than what I should have been and he said, oh, it was your mother, your mother's fault. I said, mum's fault. I said, I remember very clearly one night you coming home. We were in the lounge room in the front of the house and you are in the kitchen and she made you a, a, a dinner and it wasn't good enough for you. So you threw the dinner. What's this rubbish? And, the, the, and then we hear smash bang and then it was on again and then the table was upturned and I said, so your dinner didn't taste as good as what you thought it would, so that meant a bashing for mum. Well, your mother had a big mouth. So even then I thought, okay, that's enough. 
I said to my son, come on, we're going. I got his hand. I said, we're off. I said, okay, thanks for nothing. I can be pretty awful. I can be very straightforward. I thought, no, I've tried. I said, thanks for nothing. And that was it. And then, you know, when mum rang me, that was 2002 when he died, she, she rang me on a, it was early in the morning where we were and it was late at night in Australia. So your father passed away. And, you know, I cried when he passed away. I don't know whether I was sad, but I cried. I don't know why I was crying for. I don't know. Could it have been part of it, a sadness Maybe a bit. for what wasn't? The father it wasn't. Yeah. I would have loved, I would have loved a father. Yeah. I, you know, you saw the other kids at school and their fathers would be proud of what they did. And but me, he, he always made fun of me because I was a bookworm. I was quiet and and I was reading. You don't have to read all that rubbish. Just talk, be funny. And I wasn't a funny kid. I, you know, I had a sense of humor. I wasn't a clown. He wanted a clown. Did he have that was... side of a charmer, a funny guy? Did he have no. that kind of side? Oh, with his friend, with his yeah, friends, yeah. yes. But me, then my brother and I have talked about this just recently. This is my second oldest brother, and he said, uh, I used to hide you <coughs> when we heard his car coming in the driveway. I used to hide you because he would always pick on you when he'd come in. Get up, get up, do something. But everyone else, would be, it was late when he come home. We'd had dinner and we're sitting watching TV. Get up, do something. Go and read a book, ha-ha. And he used to make fun of me all the time. He used to come in and then, you know, the, the pubs closed at 6 o'clock in those days. So he'd be home just after 6 o'clock rolling in, and you know, driving the car and the dr- car used to be driving on the wrong side of the road and he'd hit the gates when he'd come in. And, and my brother used to hide me. Come on, quick, get in the cupboard. And he'd come in and straight away he'd say, where's Coral? There'd be my sister there, there'd be my two brothers. Oh, she's um, gone to bed or she's in the bathroom or something. And I'd be in the cupboard listening. I was so frightened. I used to shake. I used to shake like. And then he'd go and do something and then I'd get out of the cupboard and then just be there. I said, oh, I was here when you come in, Dad. You didn't see me. On the night that the experience took place with the little old lady, had there mm. been violence that night? Oh, yes, always. Mm. So after that, you and your mum, it was like you took some respite together on the couch to watch this movie. Yeah. Yep. yeah. But he'd, he'd gone to bed drunk. My sister was always an early one to go to bed, and which was good because I thought, well, that's good because she didn't hear, and she was a very heavy sleeper. She didn't hear anything. But it was always, nothing was ever good enough for him. And when my brothers got a little bit older, he would start hitting my brothers like, like men like men do in a fight. It was terrible. It's so awful. I, I'm, I'm so sorry that you had to go through this and I thank you for sharing so candidly. What, I, what I'd like to say is that I have interviewed many People over the years for my books and for the podcast and there is something there is a common denominator in your story mm. and, and in the stories of other women that I've interviewed who have experienced childhood trauma whether it is from form of abuse mm. or whether it's mm. uh, illness or an accident that it seems that some sort of portal is opened and they 
I mean, there's no proof of this. I haven't done a scientific study. This is just anecdotally what I've come to understand is that they somehow seem to have a, a more ready connection with the mm. world. And mm. you, so you've gone through this childhood, but at the same time, you were always seeing ghosts. I'd like you to tell us about that as well. Like what's your earliest memory of seeing a spirit or a spirit connection and tell us about some of those moments that happened prior to this moment with the, the little old lady. Okay. Well, we were living at our Australian grandparents' house. Again, we'd left my father back with the grandparents and they had built this house uh, prior to World War II. So 1938, they, they moved into this new house and it was theirs. And then my grandfather went off to war and come back and then they had owned this house forever and there was something not nice in that house and it used to this thing that was it was like ectoplasm just hanging it used to hang in different places and it hang in the hallway and then hang in a doorway and it used to open doors something used to open doors because we had you know it was all like separate rooms and things like that so and my brother was saying to me not that long ago either, that thing, whatever it was, it wasn't good. And it, it wasn't a nice feeling in that house, but it always belonged to my grandparents. And when we were sitting in the, in the lounge room watching TV and the door was closed and the door just opened and a whew, come into the room whew, like that. And then we looked at each other. It was just, I think, just the kids. It might have been mum in there as well. Looked at each other. Mum said, just close the door again I said I'm not getting up to close the door mum so Peter got up to close the door he closed the door and then just outside the door in the passageway there was that little ball of ectoplasm did it look like it had substance or was yes, it, it did. did no it wasn't oh. yep it looked like a ball of something it wasn't like it, you couldn't see through it or anything yeah it was just like yeah something physical there could all of the children and your mum see that as mm -hmm. well? Mm -hmm. You yep. could all see it. Oh, yes. Yep. So in terms of like you saw that old lady looking so very real at the end of your bed mm. when you were 12, mm. Mm. is that the only time you've seen a person, like a spirit person? Like I know that you no. see the forms. Yeah. Mm. So oh, yeah, the forms, yeah. Um, again, other times, yeah, that you've seen okay, spirit yeah. people. Uh, again, uh, in my husband's country, we were living in, uh, they had a, an old plantation house also. Now it's a part of the National Trust. A very, very beautiful old wooden house. And we were living there. We were very, very lucky to be living in, in that sort of place. And, and, but when tourists come in, you had to show them through because it was National Trust house as well. And uh, my son, he was three there. And he used to go over into the same corner of the house and was furnished with all, with all antique furniture uh, that the French had brought over with them in the, in the 1700s. It was beautiful old stuff. And my son would be just talking in a corner, gabbling away and looking up, you know, looking up like this, you know, and he'd be smiling. And I said, who are you talking to? He said, the man. I said, all right, okay, we'll say bye-bye to the man now and we're going. We're going for a walk or something like that. Bye, he'd say, you know. A few nights after that, it was a very rickety staircase in that house. So we could either sleep upstairs under the eaves or 
we could sleep downstairs. And this house belonged to my husband's family for that 150 years or so. His family had always lived in that house. And my son and I were down in a four-poster bed with uh, mosquito drapes. My husband's upstairs in the bed because my son used to get out of bed and go to the toilet or whatever or walk around. I didn't want him walking down those stairs. So I said, I'll be down here with him. You can sleep upstairs. And it was a bit, although it's very hot there all the time, it got a little bit cool in the night. And I, I'd woken up just at this point and I was just about to throw, we had one of those cotton blankets with the holes in those, you know. Waffle weave. Waffle yeah. weave, thank you. Yeah. We had one of those at the end of the bed and I thought, oh, I'll just throw that over. Just as I was about to get the blanket, the blanket come up and it was put over us very gently and there was, and I looked at the side and there's the tall, tall man. It was my husband's grandfather. Tall man, white shirt, very well dressed. He just put the blanket over us and he disappeared. Plain as anything, just standing by the bed. What did you feel? I went to wake up my husband and I called him uh, and he come down. He said, oh, that's granddad. So my son must have, my son was asleep in the bed, but my son must have seen him in the corner as well, mm, talking to him in the was... corner as well. Hmm, that's who he was chatting that's to. Lovely. Do you think that, or you, I know that you're not sure, but what, what does your heart say about whether that old lady was an ancestor of yours? You said she had a little shawl. Did, mm. did she look like an Italian lady? or, or No, a... no, no. Look like a little English lady. Um, but, you know, when mum said, oh, it could have been grandma, it could have been my grandmother, because my grandma, mm. she said, oh, grandma used to have a, or nana, she called her, have a bun on her head. And this lady had a bun on her head and a, a little short. And I've got photos of my great-grandmother. Yes, my great-grandmother. And the bun was sort of the same. She died in 1939, just before the Second World War. Mm. Do you think it might have been her? Could have been, could have, could have been, yeah. You know, my, my mother when she was in, my mother when she took those pills that I told her about yes. before, you know, she said, oh, Grandma, uh, Nana's here, I'm going with Nana. And, and uh, no, you can't go, Mum, no, tell Nana you're not coming. Tell Nana you're not coming, you have to stay here with us. What are we going to do without you, Mum? It was terrible. What are we going to do without Mum, with my father like he was? I was petrified. But if anything ever happens to mum, what do we do? Nobody wanted us, you know. Coral, do you think you inherited your mum's psychic ability? Do you think your mum's psychic? Uh, her mother was, my, my grandmother. They were from Irish stock. And my grandfather, they were all from Penzance in Cornwall. And my grandmother's mother was her nana, my mum's nana. She was a, what do they call it, a clairaudient? Clairaudient. Clairaudient or clairvoyant. So she could either, no. she, she could see or she uh, uh, could hear. She could hear them. Yeah, yes. that's clairaudient. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And my grand, yeah, my grandfather's, they were all sort of, my, I was talking about this yesterday with my mother, what they were like, what his parents were like. She said, oh, they're dear old souls, they're Salvation Army people. She said, but they were quite strange in a lot of ways, you know. She didn't elaborate on that, but. I've got photos. I'm sort of the keeper of the family photos and things like that. So 
and I study them with the with the magnifying glass. I like to look at them with magnifying glasses. Yeah, like when you were little and you would study people's faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I would have studied out magnifying glass <laughs> just for that. Mm. <laughs> so you've got okay. So you've got the Celtic heritage, which is mm. you know they call it being Fae, F E Y, don't mm. they? Mm-hmm. So, yep. so there's certainly all of that. What I wonder is. Did this ability of yours to sense spirit as a child bring you solace? Did this bring you solace during the hard moments? Was it something that helped you get by? It was something that I wasn't scared of. We, we weren't scared of. But help us to get by, I don't think anything would have helped us to get by, no. But when I said before about this old lady in the, in the house with the intruder, I felt thankful that somebody had cared enough to do something and that person was uh, a deceased person. A deceased person cares enough about us. It's truly amazing. To get us out of danger and not knowing who this deceased person was. Mm. There is the sense that when all of the living adults around you Mm. failed you, Failed yep. all of you, failed your mum, yep. failed your siblings, mm, somebody, mm. there's still that love. In there's, that, still someone to, yeah. there's still someone to help you yeah. if you are open to that help. So you feel that as a child you were open to that help? Yes, I do, Yeah, I, and I do now too, absolutely. I just feel that there's people everywhere around me. And I don't tell many people, cut this out if you want, but, you know, I hear voices and I have to tell them to just be quiet sometimes because they're just loud. It starts off as a murmur and then it just becomes so loud that I have to say, please stop. And then it stops and it just all goes silent. So is it like you're, so does it sound like you're in a room and people are conversing around you? Is that what it sounds like? Yep. So do you, Mm -hmm. what are they saying to each other? No, I can't hear. I can't, ah, you can't tell, tell what they're saying. Yeah. It's like a murmur. Yep. But it's this yep. continual murmur and it's busy, busy, like chat, 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 chat. And, you know, I try to go to sleep. Like, please, I'm trying to go to sleep. Stop. Coral, I've stops. heard that many times from interviewing oh, yeah, many, many yeah. times. You're not alone in that. Mm, I yeah. have heard it. Sometimes that is the way that somebody will actually learn either in their childhood or, or at some point that they are mediums because mm. they will hear these voices that it's so clear, but yet they, they all say that, that they can't quite make out. Like mm, it's clear that there are people mm. talking, but they can't make mm. out the actual words. So I've certainly mm. heard that before. Mm. Mm. So, yeah, please know you're not alone there. Mm. Um, another another yeah. house that we lived at, um, we were older in that place. I was about 17. It was only us four grown-up grown up kids and my mother. And it was rather a happy house because my father wasn't there. And, the, you know, a couple of days into that, I was home and I was laying in bed thinking, oh, yeah, I'll get up, you know. And um, I heard footsteps coming down the, the hallway and coming into the room. I thought it was one of the boys at home from work. And, and I said, oh, who's, who's there? Who's come home from work already? And no answer. And then the footsteps up come right up to me and stopped. And I thought, oh, my God, there's somebody there. And I quickly turned around. Thought, well, I can't do anything. Quickly turned around. There was nobody there. 
And then over the next few days, uh, I used to take my rings off when I was doing the dishes and things like that. So I put my rings on the windowsill up near the sink and they were all gone and they were put somewhere else and sort of to me. But then my sister, I never saw that person. My sister did. Who did and she see? He, he was a, a, a tall, we, we got to know who he was. He was a tall man. Uh, I'd, I'd sensed him. I knew that I knew that there was somebody there probably checking us out too, who's in my house, because I don't know whether he died. He was the owner of the house. I don't know whether he died there or in hospital. And, uh, you know, I told, because my mother and, and my sister, we slept in the front room because, again, it was a two-bedroom house. And uh, I said to mum, oh, she said, oh, I'm not another ghost like this. You know, I said, oh, but, it, you know, I wasn't that scared. I thought it was somebody alive. It was someone in the house. And I said, my things keep disappearing. And then when I'd look for them, they're in another room. Or if I left them in the other room, when I get when I went to get them in the other room, they'd be back where I put them originally. So anyway, when my sister saw this person, she said, Oh, he's a big tall man. She said, he's in a suit and he's got a big, my sister was about 15 then, got a big top hat on. I said, Oh, a top hat? Oh, fancy, you know. And <laughs> I said, where did you see him? She said, he stands in the doorway of the kitchen and the little dining room, just stands there. Well, this top hat man, uh, so we learned, there were a couple of old neighbours, a couple of old people that lived down the street and I was out doing some gardening one day and they were walking past and we just struck up a conversation and uh, they said, oh, uh, you're living in old uh, Mr So-and-so's house and said the name. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, didn't know him or anything. What was he like? And he, and the old bloke said, oh, he was an eccentric old fellow. He was always well-dressed in a suit and he loved the races and he always wore a top hat to the races. Did you get goosebumps when you heard that? Yeah, <laughs> yep, yep. And uh, I said, where did he die? Did he die in the house or did he die in hospital? Oh, I can't remember. It was a while back that he died, you know. I can't remember whether that he had been taken to the hospital or not. Anyway, so we just started calling him by his name. Hi, Mr. So-and-so. And that house was one of the happiest houses we lived in. Of all the places that we'd lived in, that was a happy house because my father wasn't there. But it was a happy house even with Mr. Thing there. Yeah, there was harmony. There was. Yeah. But... <laughs> My sister had a little my sister had a little boyfriend at that time and he stayed over night. So mum put the the little uh, camp bed out, little fold up bed out for him in that little dining area where Mr. B stood. In the middle of the night, or early hours of the morning, we hear this guy, my sister's boyfriend, scream. Oh. So we got up. <laughs> What's wrong? What's wrong? Oh, there's a man. There was a man just looking at me. And he had this stupid hat on. Wow. And uh, my brother had to take him home, like 2 o'clock in the morning. <laughs> he wouldn't stay there. Mr B wasn't happy with the gentleman caller Mr. in the Mr. house. Mr B wasn't <laughs> happy with the gentleman caller in the house. No. He, just, he said he just stood there and stared at me and he had this stupid hat on. And he said, I want to go home. I want to go. And, and he was only 15, 16 as well. My brother said, I'll take you home. So my brother had to take him home out, uh, a few suburbs away at 2 o'clock in the morning. 
he never come back to that house. Never. never. Oh, Coral, that, just another another wonderful story. Now, and then uh, when we when we left oh, yeah, that house, yeah, 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 go on. When we left that house, we had pictures on those walls for we were there for like maybe three years or four years or something. Pictures had been there all that time. Pictures started just falling off the walls. When you were getting ready to leave? Yep. Before mm-hmm. we'd taken those pictures off the wall, that bang. Absolutely true. So I don't think he was happy with us going. It's amazing because your childhood was marked by, you know, all of the trauma, but not just that, but the constant moving, as you said, like so much. It was terrible. Moving mm. house and so much. Yeah. Um, you were so unsettled. But now yeah. in this home with Mr B, who's on the other yeah. side of the veil, you're there, yeah. what, three or four years and it, it as yeah. you say, it's the most beautiful, happiest time you've had. And, and it's a happy house. Kind yeah. of the longest stretch by the sounds of things too. It was the longest stretch, yeah. yeah. Yep. So as we near the end of our conversation, I just want to ask you about something which is not exactly related to the spirit world, but in a way it is. And that is your experience with past life regression. And I know that you have had that. And I think it was quite mm. recent, last July, July of 2020. Yes. Yep. yep. And you uncovered two lives. Is that right? Two lives. Yep. Tell us about them. And, it, and tell um, us about the detail. Like, did you experience this as if you were back in those times? Yes. Yep. But this lady that I went to, she, she uh, hypnotizes you. She didn't have to hypnotize me. So how did I, it I, unfold? It just, well, it just sort of come. It, I think it just all wanted to blurt out of me for some reason. I sat in the chair. We got comfortable. It was a good two or three, oh, it was three hours actually. And she said, just relax. And she did, you know, these relaxation sort of techniques and things like that. So I was quite relaxed and it was actually a cold day up here. So I had a blanket over me. It was like a home away from home. It was lovely. And... I just sort of like, I thought, oh, that, and you know, when you're so relaxed, you feel heavy. You feel like a stone. I thought, oh, I could drift off here. And just, she didn't do anything else. And then all these images started coming to me. And uh, she said, oh, what's, what's coming to you? And she was sort of talking through it. She didn't know anything about me or anything. She was sort of asking me questions throughout. And I was... She said, ask the guides what era you are in. So I asked. She didn't ask. I asked. And it was the late 1700s. It was in the 1790s. So I was dressed like I was in a long skirt. Uh, I was, I'm quite short in this life. So I was a bit taller in that life. A long skirt and uh, like a little braided thing, like a bodice thing. And then um, I was I was up looking. I was on top of a, not a mountain, but a, a nice hill. I was looking down, and I felt so alone and so lost. And I was looking for something. And these two children come out of nowhere, and led me down. One in one hand, one in the other, led me down the hill to this little town. We're in England, in a little village. And it was very vivid. And I just couldn't have made this up because it was just boom, 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 coming out, you know. I was walking through this town and I was saying hello to people and some people were acknowledging me and some people weren't. And I thought, why? And I asked my God, why are some people 
saying hello and some people are not. And then I got the answer back, have a think about it. So this thing just popped in. I was dead. I was dead and I was walking through. And then when I got to the end of this little village, my husband was there with our son, a, a young, a little boy. But my husband and son had drowned in a boating accident. And, you know, the amount of emotion that come out of me, it just, and I said, am I dead? Yes, you did. Some people could see me, some people couldn't. I was so happy to see my husband and son. And then the lady, the, the, the lady there said, ask how you passed. So I did. I had passed. I didn't know how I had passed. I was in a horse riding accident. I was a very good horsewoman. And I'd been thrown and um, I died. I died instantly. So I didn't know that I was dead. That is extraordinary, Coral. So you were shown the moments just after your passing where you, because it was sudden yeah. and we, we hear that yeah. about yeah. sudden passing yeah. accidents, yeah. there's this disorientation. Mm. And, it's and that's like, what I felt yeah, like. Yeah, you were taken right back to that. Mm. How amazing. And, it, you know, it makes sense in this life too because when I, I, had, my, when I had my son, we were together eight years before I had my son and I did not want children because I was so afraid something would happen to my child and it was silly and people said that's just ridiculous get over it you know I didn't know why this foreboding thing if I have a child something's going to happen to that child and I just resisted for eight years until I was 35 Oh, wow. So that actually stopped you from starting a family, that fear. Yeah, I had this fear of losing a child. Hmm. And, and when I got together with my husband, I thought, oh, this is too good to be true. My husband just come out of nowhere. And I've told you the story of how we met. He just come out of nowhere. He was like some sort of angel that come into my life when I needed him most. And I thought, what did I do to deserve this? What did little old me do to deserve this person? I'm so happy to hear that, mm. that you've got this beautiful but, person. Yep. And then um, I, I, I have this awful fear about water. I can't swim. I have this terrible fear about water, about boats, terrible fear about water, and I have a terrible fear about drowning. But I don't swim, so I can't drown if I don't swim. And I, I could not be taught to swim. We used to go swimming lessons at school <clears throat> every week. <clears throat> I used to say to the nuns, oh, I can't do swimming this week, sister, because I've got my period. Oh, okay, well, you can sit out this week. Next week, the, the nuns didn't realise that every week this kid's got her period, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, sister, can't do it. I've got my period. Yeah. Sit out. That old chestnut. So do you think yeah. that comes from your, the loss of your of your husband and child in that 1790s uh, life? Yeah. Yes, I think so, yeah. And I am so pathetically frightened of horses. I cannot go near a horse. But I love animals. I love all animals. And I think horses are beautiful, awesome animals. I can't even put myself to pat one of them. I, I stand at, at right away from a horse. So that's interesting because even though that came up for you in the past life regression, mm. it didn't because you often hear that when people have a regression and they go back to that, then that fear is cured. 
But mm. my sense listening to your account is not, that wasn't the point of the, of the you wasn't being point, shown no. that. It was about, you tell me if this is right, Coral, was mm. it about mm. the reunion with your husband and son? Yes, yes. What yes. do you think you were meant to to see about that or feel or re-experience or why was that important for you to see again? Because, you know, when we grew up, I felt worthless. I felt worthless and, and, and I thought, well, we had such an awful life and uh, such a shameful life. I felt ashamed. No, nobody ever come around to any house that we lived in because I was ashamed of where we lived. We lived in some pretty terrible places. And, you know, I go, I had a couple of friends and I'd go there. But as soon as anyone wanted to, you know, oh, I'll go, no. And that really put me off having friends because friends want to come to your house. Don't come to my house, especially if my father was home because he didn't care about anyone there. He'd just start ranting. I was so embarrassed for my family, terribly. And that was a horrible thing to feel, embarrassed about how you live and where you live and the circumstances that you live in. So I thought, well, I, I, I'd had a, you know, and my husband, again, had come to me, that husband and son. My husband was a banker and he was very well respected. So we probably were, didn't have a lot of money, but we were probably comfortable in our life. Mm. Yeah, so I think it was just shown to me that this is part of you. This has been part of you. And it's just pretty good until that awful thing happened. Then the other life was um, back in a Victorian time, um, about 100 years after the first one, and I was a school teacher. I was a spinster. I'd chosen not to marry. I, I had chosen not to marry and I'd chosen not to have children, so I'd become a school teacher. And I had all my little children and I would love all my, and I was, you know, I felt love in that regression. I felt love for those children, but they weren't mine. And I felt very relieved that they weren't mine because I thought anything of mine, they're going to come to grief. And I asked when, how did I pass? And I just went to sleep in front of the fire and died. In your old age? In my, well, I was older, yeah. 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 I was an older lady, yeah. Yeah, I just sat in front of the fire and I passed. What do you feel it was important for you to see about that life? That one, I was a fairly rigid person in that life, like a school mom, you know, how the teachers used to, but I was kind to my children and I love them. And it's funny because... I never had much to do with children either in this life until I had my son. I didn't even like children. Isn't that awful to say? I worked in credit and finance for a while and until we went on a holiday again back to my husband's country and I had the charge of this little boy and uh, he was about four and his father was old and his mother was young and not much time was spent with this little boy. So he was quite precocious child. And we got together and... Uh, I spent a couple of hours a day with him with reading and bits and pieces like that. And he could see ghosts. That little boy could see ghosts. We made a bond straight away. And he used to call me mummy. Mummy, mummy, what what will I wear? And wherever we went, he'd come with us because his mother really didn't mind him because she didn't want to have 
him, you know. Oh, he can go with you. Okay, well, let's go and get changed. Now, what do you want to put on? Oh, he does everything for you. Why does he do it for me? Right, what do you want to put on? This or this? I gave him two choices, you know. I'll put this on. Does it look nice, mummy? I'm not you, mummy, darling. Yes, you are. Oh, my goodness. Do you think he was your son I, in the past life? Probably. We had just this strange connection. Or one of strange your school children. Could have been one of the school pupils, yeah. but, yeah, yeah. mummy. Um, and, and then we had to leave to come back to Australia. And that little boy, I, I couldn't get him out of my head. He just cried and cried. He came to see us off at the airport and his shoulders were just like this up crying. And then when I said, I have to go now, I gave him a big hug and his little shoulders just dropped. And all the plane trip back, I couldn't get that face out of my head, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I did uh, send him little letters and send things over and things like that. But, yeah, he's in America now and he's in America because his father was American. But, yeah. Do you have any contact now? No. Yeah, very interesting little boy. Uh, you know, one night there was a storm there and I had my son. He was 11. And we all went into the room downstairs because my husband took his boss to his hotel. And uh, my husband said, just go into one of the bedrooms. It was like an open Balinese house. Just lock the bedroom door because all the bedrooms had their own bathrooms and things. So I went in. There was a big king-size bed. I said, all right, guys, get into bed. So... My son's on one side, little one's on the other side, and there was a rocking chair in the corner. All the windows were closed and it was pouring rain and, you know, it was all calm in the room. Then the rocking chair in the corner started rocking. And the little one said to me, do you see that lady in the corner there? She's smiling at me. Now she's waving to me. I didn't see her. And I said, well, you wave back to the lady and tell her that we're going to sleep now. We're going to sleep now, lady. And the rocking chair just stopped, just stopped. And then he told me about, uh, they had beautiful gardens in this house. And he told me about a man fell over and the legend died there. I said, when was that? He goes, oh, I don't know. It was a long time ago. Now, I asked and I did a little bit of investigation into what had happened on that property. And a man <laughs> had... There was a little little uh, little house there and a man had a fight. This was going way back, way back, maybe 90, 100 years ago. It was in the archives there. They had a fight and he went to push the woman over the edge and he finished up going over the edge because it was a sheer drop and he landed on a, a piece of rock and then he was dead. Nobody knew that until I went and dug it up from the archives. That's until, amazing, Coral. Wow. Yep. Mm. Very gifted little boy. He's very gifted. Yep. And then, you know, yeah, just people said, yeah, why is he everywhere with you? Funny, funny little guy. There's a real connection there, real there was, yeah. spirit, spirit bond there between you. I think so. Yeah, I yeah. think so. Well, it's it's just been amazing to listen to your stories and to to hear hear about your life today, Coral. I'd like to, as we close, I'd like to circle back to the experience that you had in on that chilly day in 1979. Mm. So, looking back on on the last 50 plus years, how mm. would you say that that encounter impacted your life? Like if you were to sum it up, 
what it did for you. I don't know whether it impacted my life, but I did feel that, well, I suppose I have the feeling now that there's always someone looking after me if you ask them. If you're respectful of them, there's always someone looking out for you. And love comes to you in different ways. It doesn't come from the obvious. That's really powerful. Mm. Yeah, it doesn't come from the obvious. And, mm. yeah, and that's what the story teaches us because at first there's the temptation to think this is a scary story. There are the cold hands. Mm. Mm. But it turned out to be something very different, a form of love that was very oh, mm. much out of the, out of the ordinary. Yeah, well, you know, they say cold hands, warm heart, don't they? They do indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's, not all, yeah. it's not always, you know, you're looking at the obvious. Um, you're looking for answers in the obvious. Look at answers out of the obvious. Look for your answers out of the obvious because there's answers there. You only have to have an inquiring mind and be curious. I love those words because they really, they remind us to, to not lose hold of hope as well that's right that's right yeah and if you think that there's something bigger than you or or there's a caring love power even in your darkest moments you will say it's all going to be better tomorrow and that's what we did it never got better tomorrow but we always thought okay it'll be better tomorrow it wasn't but tomorrow is now tomorrow is now Tomorrow doesn't have to be literally tomorrow. I say, I say that to my mum, you know, well, you've got four children. We survived a terrible, uh, traumatic life and you survived a terrible, traumatic life and we're all still here. We're not drunks. We're not drug addicts. We're not anything like that. We are decent, respectable people. How could decent, respectable people come out of that? Because there was always hope that everything would be better. Having that awful start has given us strength and wisdom and knowledge for our adult life. And certainly that strength and wisdom and knowledge has really shone through today as well as a deep spiritual connection which is life-sustaining that you've shared with us. And what an amazing story. Coral, thank you so much for coming on Spirit Sisters today. So honoured. Thanks, Corona. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Spirit Sisters, the podcast, based on my best-selling book of the same name. I really hope you enjoyed this episode and will join me again next time for another intriguing conversation exploring mysteries and marvels. In the meantime, please subscribe so that you won't miss an episode. I also welcome your feedback, so please message me through my website, karinamachado.com, or find me on Facebook at Karina Machado Author. Perhaps you have your own encounter to share. If so, I'd love to hear it. After all, there's nothing more powerful than a story. Music